And so back to back, we got podcast 19, although these are going to be like two weeks apart. So I don't know. Uh, we still have Luke Coltry here. He's sitting in a hotel room in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> what, I, what I want to chat about here is mine rescue. I mean, we do a lot of talk about rope rescue. We do a lot of talk about confined space rescue. And we do some training for mine teams, primarily in the rope and confined space realm. There's more to mine rescue than just rope and confined space. Luke's been playing with uh, with mine rescue teams for how long now? Ten? About ten years. Um, he's got a pretty good background in it. He's helped with some of the competitions. He's obviously responded to real-world events with it. So we just want to chat a little bit about mine rescue and, and kind of give a bit of awareness of it to some of the people out there, what it is, what it looks like, uh, some of the influences, things like that. So I guess to start with it is we might as well look at where it came from. Originally came from uh, Europe. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the folks in the families coming over, uh, chasing coal. Uh, early 1900s were coming over. Uh, our local East Kootenay uh, East Kootenay Mines Industrial Safety Association ECMISA uh, has been hosting and putting on mine rescue competitions uh, for approximately 98 years. We are two years away from our hundredth anniversary. In this day and age, there's not a lot of things out there that you can say have been going for 100 years. So we are steeped in history, we are steeped in tradition, and you know the the curse of knowledge, the curse of legacy. You know, somewhat restrictive sometimes, but we've got multiple generations moving forward on uh, wanting to make sure it continues and, and get better. It's interesting. You say it comes from Europe, where. A lot of the mountain rescue stuff is coming out of Europe. I mean, that's where a lot of this, of our trade, I mean, our primary trade came from. It's funny with the confined space. Not a lot of confined space in Europe. That's more of a North American thing. But ropes and mines looks like it comes from Europe. You talk about the history. So is this like the fire service, 200 years of tradition unimpeded by change? Or is the history a little bit more fluent than that? I mean, I've looked at some of the old school well, old school even when I started teaching mine rescue guys you know they were tying bowlins around people and things like that so I mean absolutely you know we were doing we were doing butterfly harnesses from rope you know we, we grew up with sticks and stones uh, you know mine rescue came out of the fact that uh, we were getting coal out of the ground or whatever the product was and bad things were happening because there was unknown hazards and we didn't know how to take care of them so the the whole realm of mine rescue is to essentially put the you know families at ease knowing that their you know fathers sons uh, and such could go to work every day ensure that they're they're coming home every day and uh, have the ability to take care of the family and daughters too you got some pretty uh decent mine rescuers out there that i've worked with that are of the female persuasion as well absolutely you know back in back in the day there was definitely uh, more of a male influenced realm but we have multiple female mine rescuers that I'm very proud and uh, respectful of in these Kootenays and across BC and across Canada that uh, continue to push the boundaries. You know, a bit of a throw to uh, Diamonds in the Rough. Uh, they were the first ever uh, all-female uh, underground mine rescue team that uh, competed in Russia uh, last year in 2018. Uh for those of you that aren't aware, you know, women are essentially, for all intents and purposes, banned underground, and they managed to show up with uh, a bunch of skills and uh, actually place in a number of the competitions and, and do uh, my, both Mine Rescue and, and Canada very proud in that competition. 
It's interesting you say that. I mean, I'm not trying to make this a political podcast by any stretch, but the fire service, the rope access world, the rescue world is predominantly male dominated. And yet in the mine rescue world, I've seen more females serving in that capacity than I do in the fire service or in the, you know, rope access started to get a little bit more. You had yes, ma'am, this year competing in Duisburg. But yeah, it's, it seems that they broke the mold a little bit earlier than the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, really exciting to see uh, in multiple levels of both operational and technician level, uh, women pursuing the ability to get better, not be restricted by the confines of what social norms may be. Uh, There are multiple women within our mine rescue teams in the Elk Valley that uh, are incredibly strong, very, very well learned and have the ability to uh, make those hard decisions where they need to be. Right on. Um, so in a bit of the history, what does mine rescue entail? Like what, what trades or what skill levels are inside of mine rescue when you hear mine rescue? You know, essentially we're the uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, we have the ability based on uh, Ministry of Mines, every mine in BC, uh, based on a number of different criteria, we have the ability to train on a quarterly or monthly basis, and we cover for everything from, you know, firefighting to high angle rescue, confined space, avalanche, first aid, transport of injured workers, uh, technical rescue, 1006, heavy extrication, light duty extrication, you know, anything in the realm of somebody getting hurt involved with equipment or anything else, we are the go-to people. We don't have 911 at mine sites. We are the people that get called when things go wrong. Okay, so it's a couple quick questions. I mean, I don't know the answer. Throw them out at you. Uh, BC, that's where we're from. I mean, it's this is a bit more of a, a hometown question. Fire service has to follow the playbook. Do you guys have to follow the playbook? Are you considered an industrial fire brigade? Not currently. Uh, we have the ability to follow in- industry best practices. We follow the uh, Ministry of Energy and Mines, uh, Petroleum Resources, uh, Western Canadian Mine Rescue Manual. Uh, which sets out a number of basic guidelines for us to teach to. Uh, We have a number of mine rescue instructors and coordinators in the valley uh, that allow us to instruct and teach to new members. However, there is a number of aspects and lines in the manual that state that, you know, we are always going to teach to industry best practice and we're going to seek out and pursue uh, the best abilities for us to uh, increase our, our rescuers' knowledge. Okay, so you'd mentioned Diamonds in the Rough underground mine rescue team. You belong to a surface mine rescue team. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but let's throw it out there for the viewers. What's the difference? Uh, you know, surface, we're typically going to be big open pit. Uh, we, we move around and have the ability to be in, uh, you know, CRA, clear, respirable air, basically, you know, every aspect of our shift. Uh, the underground folk... Uh, definitely a smaller contingency within uh, our working realm, but uh, they have the ability to go down for hours at a time. And when things go wrong underground, uh, time is the enemy because it is going to take a lot longer to respond than it ever will be for us to be able to drive a vehicle to any incident site uh, when we're dealing with surface mines. Okay, so that's a history. So what's the current state? Like, where are you at now? What are you looking at? Who are you, you know, not just talking about Ronan, but who are you using to to bring in some of these like auto X and fire training. What are you guys doing with that? 
Well, you know, we're, we're dealing with an interesting age of uh, the dawn of social media. Uh, a number of years ago, we started uh, pursuing to, you know, essentially bring up the skill level from, uh, you know, the stick and stone age that we were laughing about earlier to uh, current industry practice. Everything from, you know, current rope rescue gear to stabilization techniques, uh, the dawn of e-tools to stabilization aspects of uh, Paratech and, and things like that. And, you know, we are continually looking to be, you know, sourcing out the most efficient and, you know, safest way to doing things. Uh, you know, we're continually battled with or challenged with the, the idea of NFPA 10 to 1 standards, and there's a lot of gear out there. Uh, that we're starting to train to that don't necessarily meet that but are still safe and uh, have the ability to provide the, the, the solutions that we need. I want to put an interlude. NFPA does not dictate 10 to 1 safety factors. <laughs> 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 Just throwing that out there Indeed, right now. Um, so you bring up uh, something there I, just, I picked up on. You're talking e-tools. How are e-tools working for you on some of those heavy machineries? I mean, I've worked on some mine sites, teach and rescue, and uh, there's some rather large haul trucks that move up and down those roads. Uh, you can drive over a pickup with these things. And how are the e-tools? Are you having to use heavy jaws on that? E-tools, what are you guys getting away with? You know, we are definitely moving towards the, you know, tying into the rapid access and the confined space world. We want rapid access and making space for individuals stuck in a uh, an extrication situation. Uh, there is definitely people uh, that were concerned about what battery life may be, uh, the ability to maintain charge and such uh, at both elevation and our environmental conditions. Uh, however... We know that uh, the for you know for a couple of mines specifically, the uh, the Hurst E tools are delivering exactly what we need, regardless of how heavy duty the ROPs are, whatever they may be. Uh, they're they're giving us fast access and reliability where we need it. ROPs rollover protection. Thank you. Absolutely, Ken. I'm just curious, like how much, uh, how many real life scenarios have you guys used the tools in? Uh, currently that I've been directly involved in, there's been three different varying scenarios. Uh, everything from smaller light duty vehicles all the way up to and including heavy duty haul trucks, 400 ton plus, and uh, you know, very humbling. Ultimately at the end of the day, you'd like to have the tool that can do everything, but uh, you always need to be prepared to step outside the box and use what's available. So stacked up against traditional hydraulic pump driven tools, uh, do they meet par? They subpar? They excel? Based cons? Based on only my experience, I'd say they excel. Uh, a number of things on in terms of dealing with scene, uh, the ability to communicate without having a you know a two stroke or a four stroke engine, having the ability for the team you know the team lead or the IC to communicate with that extrication team. Uh, quick deployment, there's no setting up of lines, there's no concerns about CO. We can take them into buildings, out of buildings, into confined spaces, spaces. Yeah. Uh, whatever it may be. They're quickly deployed, readily available, and uh, at this point in time, very dependable. So, of course, one of the reasons I ask you that is, as a fire department, we've had e-tools on a couple of our trucks for several years. Um, I've had the opportunity to play with them as well. Um, 
unfortunately, I've not had the opportunity to use them on an actual call. I've had lots of experience with hydraulic tools, but to hear uh, someone from that's had some practical real life experience with those tools. But some of those points you hit on that are very applicable, um, which have come up in the past about how are we going to lift something off of somebody within a space? Are we, do we have enough hydraulic hose to get a set of uh, a spreaders down in a space, for example? And the E-tools definitely fit a, a gap there that, that, that makes some sense. Zero contaminant generating tools. Total tangent, I cut a dude, uh, he was already deceased, so we had some time, so we cut him out of a car, and we had no issues with it. It was the same as cutting with regular tools, so, but uh, yeah, no problem there. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've been very lucky to uh, be working with the Alberta Vehicle Extrication Association, uh, who give us the ability to provide a lot of exposure to both hand tools as well as some of the, you know, modern day e-tools they continue to develop on a regular basis and I have no doubt based on the the very you know restrictive and unique environments that we're dealing with uh, the ability to support you know unfortunately any instance that we have moving forward in in our working environment okay so we talked rescue I mean we've done a lot of talk with rescue on these podcasts fire you guys respond to fire I know you have fire trucks there I mean I've been on some of your sites Internal, external, like exterior, interior firefighting, or are you strictly exterior? How are you guys doing that? Typically, uh, we're going to be fully exterior. Uh, very rarely are we dealing with anything that, you know, we need to be, uh, for all intents and purposes, as per the playbook, structural firefighters. We're not training to that standard. Uh, one of our... Are you doing more 1081 then than 1,001, in, in, Industrial brigade is definitely the route that we're starting to pursue. Uh Within the the valley, we are uh, moving toward a more sustainable training and, uh, for all intents and purposes, executing of, of of the process and continuity between all the teams. So, so mutual aid amongst yourselves. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, you know, unfortunately, we've definitely had a few incidents over the last few years where we've had to integrate mutual aid between a number of the uh, the mine sites and uh, um, you know civilian resources. Uh, but that is the, you know, the battle of the beast. Yeah. In regards to duration or frequency and duration of incidents, what kind of, like, what kind of frequency are you guys running on site? So, I mean, if I'm asking questions that you don't want answers to, just tell me to go away. I'm good with that too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. By all means, you know, uh, we're no, we're no different than any other, any other working environment. We do have incidents and we, we train to those and we, uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that uh, everybody's getting home safe. Uh, we need to ensure that we stay proactive uh, in the training that we do and the ability to anticipate some of those issues. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we uh, we need to make sure that uh, we're ready for uh, things when they go bad. So what um, what's come up in ten years? That's changed in mine rescue. What are you doing today that you just didn't do 10 years ago? Because either you didn't want the capacity or you didn't need the capacity. Well, I think one of the the, the most critical thing uh, is in term of efficiency and use of current technology. Um, when, I, when I started out, I came in from a... Uh, a climbing, ski patrol, mountaineering background, single rope technique, 
Uh, I'd never once in my entire life considered having to have a redundant belay. Uh, I showed up and I was like, what do you mean we got to use two ropes? I, I, I was confused. I didn't understand. And as I was exposed to, you know, for all intents and purposes, in, industrial rescue and, uh, and, and such like that, it was, it was definitely a steep learning curve. Um, we were utilizing, sorry, utilizing, you know, brake racks and 10 impressive belays and a lot of things that, albeit worked, weren't necessarily speed or time efficient. Um, you know, the advent of the MPD and what it provides to us, uh, the use of, uh, you know, the Petzl IDs as uh, descent control devices, the ASAP lock uh, as a secondary belay, uh, you know, rescue senders, pre-sown prosics. You know, we always talk about it's great that we're able to train during the day, on our days off, when everything's good and there's no stress, but nothing ever really happens when, you know, things are good. It's 4 a.m. on your last night shift when you're tired, you haven't tied a rope in a long time, and having those, you know, little things that make your life easier to make sure that you get somebody, you know, to a higher standard of care or towards better help that really matter. Okay, so you bring up a good point. Uh, I mean, a lot of fire departments have dedicated rescue teams. A lot of fire departments rescue is a tertiary duty or a cross-staff truck. With mine rescue, is it tertiary? Like, these guys are out running the mine, or are there dedicated people with that? They all have dedicated jobs. Uh, the The great thing about mine rescue is something that it's, it's something that you want to do, not something that you have to do. Uh, these guys are volunteering their time away from their families, on days off, all towards the ultimate goal of uh, making sure that if, if, if something does go wrong, uh, they have the ability to help their, their friends, their family. You know, we've got a lot of interpersonal relationships, it, it, you know, all of our minds. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a family. So that brings up another point. I mean, when I respond in the public, it's not that, you know, I'm savage and don't care, but a lot of times I don't know who I'm going to. It doesn't have a direct effect on me the outcome in reality because I, I don't really know the person. So you're talking about people that are going to be responding to their neighbors, to people they've worked with for 20, 10, 30 years, whatever the case may be. Is that CIS in the last 10 years? Has that become more of a thing or has that been right from the start in the mine world? You know, CIS definitely was not very prevalent uh, in my early years and we definitely had a few incidents where we've, we've utilized it. Um, I think it all comes down to ultimately it's it, it's more than just something you want to do. It's a bit more of a calling. Um, you have the ability to and the desire to be able to help out uh, your friends, your family. It's uh, the idea that you know something might go wrong one day and that you're willing to answer that call. Okay. Um, you help out a lot with the mine rescue competitions, and this is something where I mean we compete in Grimp Days. We got Grimp Day coming to North America. Mine rescue teams have been doing this for decades, like literally decades, in regards to competitions. And so, talk a little bit about that and what that entails. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we're we're close to our hundred year anniversary, and you know, inevitably, there's been changes along the way. Uh, be it everything from gas detection, rope rescue techniques, SCBAs, um, you know, anything and everything uh, from first aid. And, you know, it's really exciting to see collectively as a group within, you know, British Columbia, 
as well as our ECMISA group, uh, continually pushing the bar in conjunction with, uh, you know, the ministry to make sure that we have the most uh, effective and rewarding training and competition that we can have. We've definitely brought in some third-party contractors over the last few years, and some of the feedback has been at times, you know, you're you're really good at uh, you know talking and 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 talking about how you're going to do things right, but ultimately we need to be more concerned about is the the training that we're doing for competition uh, going to be effective in terms of developing and mentoring our rescuers for real-world situations. Um, sometimes there's been discussions about, you know, mine rescue competitions all be about being about point grabbing and it's definitely an active conversation that we're having and we want to direct, uh, our competitions towards being more effective in terms of developing our guys towards being better rescuers. So, you know, it's, it's a 60, 60 split on what's beneficial and what's uh, a hindrance in terms of uh, experience and lack thereof. It's interesting because I think all competitions are like that. I mean, we even said we rig this way for Grimp. We don't rig this way at home, but it's just, you know, just to cut some BS out of it. We just rig that way. And I still think there's some value in the competitions, and obviously you guys do as well if you're running them for 98 years. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, we're very proud of the traditions that we've set forth, and we will continue to support and continue to develop uh, the opportunities to you know, put people in uncomfortable situations and uh, you know, be proud about it. So the tasks at a standard competition, what are they? Well, we typically have uh, five different uh, scenarios. We've got a, a rope scenario. We've got a fire scenario. We've got a other scenario that may be uh, extrication, environmental, whatever it may be. Uh, we've also got a bench task or practical skills, and we've got a first aid task. And within every, every task there, we have a preset denomination of points that uh, the teams are judged on in terms of skill, uh, the ability to vocalize what they're doing and uh, skill mastery, uh, you know, throwing it out to uh, to Arnold. It's all about those personal skills every day. Right on. Where's it going in the future? Where do you see Mine Rescue in ten years from now? I'd love to see it more efficient. I I hope that we have a more sustainable process in terms of continuity about training. It doesn't matter if you're a larger company with a number of different sites or a small company, we have the ability to support, evolve, adapt, and ensure that uh, whatever rescuers you do have are, are going to be prepared to, uh, to help out when, the, when the, you know, the call comes. Right on. Is there anything else you want to add? No, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, the evolution of it all is, uh, you know, it's daunting, but at the same time, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it all. Um, you know, we've got a lot of different teams in BC, uh, 2019, we've got, uh, the, uh, Northwest Regional Mine Rescue Championships. A lot of teams from the Valley and from across, uh, Western Canada and, uh, the U S are going to be vying for it again. And it's just a great opportunity to bring everybody together and, uh, just get better at what we do. All right. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks, Mark.